in Deuteronomy chapter number one. Once again, this morning, <clears throat> just started a series of teachings uh, through this often neglected but very important book, not only of the Old Testament, but of the whole Bible. As I said last week, if Jesus were here, he would likely identify that Deuteronomy was his favorite book in the Bible during his earthly ministry. He quotes from it more than from any other book in the Bible. And the book of Deuteronomy was critically important in the formation of God's people as they prepared to enter the promised land. It continues to be critically important for the spiritual formation of God's people even today because God's person, God's character, God's holiness, and God's plan for your life and mine never expires with the changing of times. Isn't that right? And so we need to know this incredible message, what we are calling the gospel, the good news, according to Moses. If you don't know where Deuteronomy is, it's the fifth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Today we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the importance of spiritual growth in the lives of God's people. I hope that you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ are fully intending that your life be a life that's marked by constant upward development and growth in terms of your knowledge of God's Word and your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed your knowledge of God Himself. God saves His people to grow spiritually. Just as babies are born to grow physically, God's children are born again to grow spiritually. Uh, listen, I got a little grandson and we were playing with him yesterday and I know the thoughts that parents and grandparents have. Don't you wish you could keep them in a bottle? Don't you wish they never did have to grow out of that stage if they could just be toddlers for the rest of their lives? But you don't really want that, do you? No, well, somebody's laughing over here. They, they kind of do. No, you really don't want that. Somebody said one time it kills you to see your kids grow so quickly, but it kill you faster if they didn't. And that's true. No, God designs those kids to grow and you'd be very concerned if your baby stayed 21 inches long for 12 years. Something would be wrong with the baby. And yet God's people, many of them, unfortunately are content to stay the spiritual equivalent of 21 inches long for the better part of their entire Christian life. And that's never God's plan, it's never God's will. God does not want you and he doesn't want me to become spiritually satisfied, content, simply to be a part of the family of God. And that's the mindset of many believers. Listen, I'm, I'm just thankful to get in. I'm just thankful to be a part of the family of God. Even if it means being the run of the litter, I'm okay with that. That is not God's will and that's not God's plan for your life. There's something spiritually wrong with a person that would be content to simply stay the runt of the litter and be content with simply being a part of the family of God, as wonderful as that is. Here in Deuteronomy chapter one, we're reminded that the people failed to grow. They failed to grow in their walk with the Lord and that failure to grow cost them dearly. It cost an entire generation God's very best for their lives. They ended up walking in circles in the dryness of a hot, <clears throat> barren, dry desert. And most of them would fail to inherit the very land that God had freed them to possess. Now, 40 years later, Moses, the great hero of the people known as the Jews, is nearing the end of his life. 
And he's making it his mission before time runs out on this earth to prepare a brand new generation to embrace and possess God's promise to them. He's preparing a new generation to enter the land, to experience a level of growth that their parents and their grandparents had failed to achieve. He wants them to avoid the mistakes of their forebears. And I'm very, very thankful that this is part of the reason why God has given us his eternal word. Lots of God's people have made mistakes and many of those stories are recorded in the Bible and that's part of the reason that they're there so that you and I don't repeat the same mistakes our spiritual ancestors made with their lives. Deuteronomy is Moses' attempt to do that very thing. The book of Deuteronomy basically is a series of three sermons. Moses is the preaching teacher of God's people as a leader in the book of Deuteronomy. These are the words that Moses spoke to the people, and he gives them three messages. Some scholars see it as one long sermon that's divided in three major points, but you can see it, and I prefer to see it as three separate messages that have three different angles. One of those messages, the one we begin today, looks backward. It's historical in nature. The second of those messages is a present look within, where Moses explains the grace of God through the law. And then the third sermon is a look ahead. It's a look into what the people can anticipate once they enter in to the promised land. And so there's a sermon that focuses on the past, there's a sermon that focuses on the present, and then there's one that encourages the people to trust God and his marvelous grace for a very bright and significant future. Deuteronomy chapter one, two, three, and four represent this first sermon, this look backward. And we're gonna take a look at the introduction to that address today, and I think it's going to be obvious as we do that Moses is looking back over his shoulder in order to prepare the people for a future growth that must take place if they are to indeed experience the incredible blessing that God has for them. And so let's look at these words of Moses once again, Deuteronomy chapter one, beginning in verse six. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word, those of you that are able this morning. Uh, this is like most of Deuteronomy, somewhat of a lengthy narrative, and so follow me along as I jump around just a little bit for the sake of time. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn <clears throat> and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast, by the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and give to them and to their offspring after them. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, <clears throat> the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. 
But how can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you. And then notice verse 18, and I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. This is God's living word and all God's people said. And now, Father, we ask that you take these words and do something spiritual and supernatural with them, that they may be more than simply words written and read off of a page, but that instead, eternal as they are, meaningful as they are, that you would take them and implant them deep within our minds and hearts, that we may have understanding, and that it may inspire us to say yes to God, that we may become all that you intend for us to be. Through Christ, our risen Savior, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, church family. You may be seated. Did you see the past tense there? Did you see Moses taking a look back and reminding the people what God had said and what God had told them and what God had instructed them to do? Then, as well as now, God's people are called to move past the mediocre. Amen. To never be willing to settle for second best in their life with God. We're called to grow. Uh, or to use language as we kind of employ it here at Hillcrest. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in what? In becoming like Christ. That's right. To grow and to never remain static, to never remain the same. Preparing for that kind of growth requires three very important things of God's people that I think you find reflected here in Deuteronomy chapter 1. The first thing you need as you prepare to grow is a willingness to leave the familiar. A willingness to leave the familiar. That's a very challenging thing for most of us. You probably noticed that Moses begins this sermon by taking people back in time nearly 40 years. When he says, you remember what God had said, he's going back about four decades, back to Horeb, back to the mountain that we more commonly know as Sinai. It was there at Sinai, there at Horeb, that the people camped at the base of the mountain. They'd been journeying through the desert to get there, once God had liberated them from their Egyptian bondage to Israel, or to Egypt rather, they'd been in the desert for about a year and they arrived there at Horeb and they camped at the base of the mountain while Moses went up the mountain for a meeting with God. There at the top of the mountain, Moses heard the very words of the Lord. He received what we know as the law of God. And it was really a glorious time for Israel as a people, a time where God clearly appeared on that mountain in fire and in smoke. It was there at the base of that mountain that God declared to them what he had originally declared to Moses. The Bible says, or to Abraham rather, the Bible says that it was there that God had borne them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. It was there at the base of the mountain where God declared that you are my treasured people among all peoples, and I will make you to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what God declared to them as a people. 
They were ragtag. They didn't have anything to offer God. It's a picture of the grace of God because this is what you'd call a privilege status. Do you realize how privileged it is to be called a child of the living God? Do you realize the status that you have that you and I don't deserve as people of God? We, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, have the same privileged status today as what we might call a new Israel, saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the Israel of God, Jews and Gentiles together, Jews in covenant relationship with God, Gentiles who have been grafted in, the Bible says. We're part of this treasured possession, this kingdom of priests who are a holy nation, and what a privileged status it is. The people enjoyed that as they saw sights and sounds that they'd never experienced before. They lingered in the very presence of God, learned to understand who God was. It was there at the mountain they learned to understand who they were and who they were not. They learned how to worship. They learned the importance of obedience. And even there at the mountain, they didn't get obedience fully right. And God punished many of them for it. But God wanted them to understand, you're a special people and you need to live like it because through you, I want all people of the world to be blessed. That was a wonderful time for them. They lingered there. They took up, this took up about the first two years of their lives. But the time came where God finally said, what? Enough. It's time to move on. Look at verse 6. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go. Now let's just be honest, a command like that isn't always easy to obey. And the reason it's not easy <clears throat> is that when God says go, he's telling us to leave a mountain, which is always a symbol for like a really good place, isn't that right? And so it's never an easy thing when God calls you to move on from a place that you actually like from a place that's become what? Comfortable. You know, sometimes God calls us to stay when life is really hard in that place. But then there are other times where God will call you to go when conditions are really good in a given place. And here at this mountain, here at the base of Sinai, conditions were like really good for Israel. Times were peaceful, <clears throat> they had freedom from their enemies, their physical needs were being provided in miraculous ways. They were being spiritually fed. I mean, what more could you want, right? And I'm sure that if they had taken a vote, let's call a church meeting. Let's call us into business session. Let's take a vote. I'm pretty sure the majority probably would have voted to stay. Let's just put down roots right here. We've traveled long enough. It's hard traveling. Many college students are like that. You know, when they go to college, they get to a point where it's so good and it's so comfortable and the grounds are so pretty and the buildings are so great, nobody ever wants to leave, right? I remember walking the grounds of Oxford University in England with my daughter just a few years ago. And at one point, I remember being so enchanted by that place, I leaned over to her and I said, you know, it's probably a good thing I never came here to study because if I had of, I probably would have never wanted to have left. Sometimes the only way to grow is to go. Sometimes the only way to grow is to leave the familiar, to forsake the comfortable. 
Remember, when God determined to establish Israel as a people holy unto himself, he began by calling just one man. Who was that? Abraham. That's right. He called one man. And what was the first thing God commanded Abraham to do? Leave. Go. Leave the familiar territory that you're in and go where? I'll tell you when you get there. That's what God told him. We'll just deal with that one day at a time. All I need for you to do is trust me each day to lead you where I'm taking you. But the call is to go, Genesis 12 in verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So Abram, what? Went as the Lord had told him. You know what's always amazed me about that is the quickness of Abram's obedience. Abram didn't even know God when God showed up and called him. Abraham was a pagan moon worshiper for crying out loud. And his willingness to leave his home, his people, his culture, all of the things that were dear, all of the things that were comforts to him, solely on the basis of God's call to go to unfamiliar territory is an amazing response. Most of us don't have those kinds of spiritual instincts by nature. Judy and I have made three major moves in our lives, three different states. And every time we made them, <clears throat> we were in a good place when we left. We were looking to leave, didn't want to leave, didn't have to leave, and loved where we lived at the time. And you know, my tendency as I look back, we moved from Tennessee to Texas, and we moved then from Texas to Missouri, and then we moved from Missouri to Florida. And in every single one of those, my tendency in those times, even though I'd heard God's voice, we'd felt God, God calling to something else, uh, my first response was to linger, to procrastinate, to apply some kind of a litmus test, to delay, to make excuses, to actually look people in the eye and say, you know what, I, I feel God's doing something, I'm just waiting for a clear call. And God looked back at me and said, clear call, you don't need a clear call. You've already gotten a clear call. What you need is a kick in the pants is what you need. Are you willing to leave the familiar when God calls? I'm not just talking about a geographical place. You may have to leave one place at Hillcrest to go to another place at Hillcrest. It can be a difference not only in geographic territory. You may be called to leave a comfortable ministry. You may be called to leave a comfortable position. You may be called to leave a comfortable job, whatever the case may be. Growth often requires a turning away from the familiar in order to do the second thing that growth requires, which is a desire to possess the unimaginable. Growth requires both a willingness to leave and a desire to move forward for something better, even though you may not even be able to explain exactly what that is at the time. God calls us to do great things, often unimaginable things, and that's what God was doing here with the life of the nation of Israel. He was calling them to go to a place that to them, I mean, this is a bunch of people that have been have been liberated from abject slavery to go to this incredible land 
that the Bible describes as flowing with what? Milk and honey. What a beautiful way to describe the land of abundance. But see, when God calls, it's not so much from something as it is to something. Isn't that right? Even though every detail isn't always going to be clearly spelled out for you, that's what frustrates you, isn't it? Because you want all the information up front, you want all the details up front, and a life of faith won't provide that for you. You have to trust God the same way Abraham did. I mean, wasn't that the case for Abraham? Speaking of Abraham, look at Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By what? Say it out loud. By faith, Abraham what? Obeyed when he was called. When he was called to go. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. It's one of the most amazing statements in the Bible. Now, how was he able to do that? In one word, write it down, trust. He trusted God more than he trusted his environment, more than he trusted the counsel of his friends. He trusted God more than he trusted his own instincts. He trusted that God was going to take him to a better place. Verse 10 of Hebrews 11, for Abraham was looking forward, looking forward. Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is who? God. See, he was looking forward to a place that God was preparing for him that was even better than where he was at the time. That was basically God's message to the children of Israel repeated here in Deuteronomy 1 and verse 8. See, God says, I have <clears throat> set the land before you. Underscore that passage. He's already told them to go, but now he casts their attention in a different direction. I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. And then... God, in his grace, does something for them as a people that he didn't do with Abraham, and he gives them a bit more information, doesn't he? He gives them some additional insight into this incredible land flowing with milk and honey, which included the land of Palestine, what we know as the modern-day geography of Israel, reaching north all the way up into what is modern-day Lebanon, reaching even further north and to the east into what is modern-day Syria, as far as the great river, which is the river Euphrates. Now, that's a really large piece of land. Most of the time today, we think of the promised land, right, as just modern Israel, this little 200-mile switch. You look at those dimensions right there in Deuteronomy 1, and all of Israel, all of Lebanon, all of Syria to the great Euphrates is the promised land. It's much bigger than Israel ever even possessed. In their entire history, they never possessed all of this land, except maybe, maybe, during the heyday of David and Solomon, there's a possibility they had most all of that, but scholars are divided even about that. It's this unimaginable swath of property. And yet, I'm sure for this ragtag group of former slaves who little, knew little enough about conquest, they didn't know anything about administration, they didn't know anything about how to govern themselves. Can you imagine 
a calling like that, man, it would have had to have seemed unimaginable. And this is a dream that's too good to be true. Somebody pinch me because this can't be happening. That was the problem with Israel. Israel had this tendency to keep looking backwards. You ever know anybody like that? Can't get them to look forward. I mean, the best that you, some people can do is just look right where they are. But many people look back. You can tell it because they're always talking about the glory days. You know, they don't sing it like Springsteen sang it, but they talk about it all the time. And the thing I found about the glory days is that most of the time they weren't all that glorious. That's right. They weren't all that glorious. Somebody said one time, I, I've remarked oftentimes living in military town, I wish I'd been in the military. Oh, you would have, I had a guy tell me one time, you would have lo loved foot rot. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about what I experienced in that. I've said sometimes that I was born in the wrong century and somebody said to me one time, you would have loved tuberculosis. <laughs> I mean, you know, we look back and we pick out the highlights without looking at the whole picture. Israel did that. There were times in these first five books of the Bible and after the Exodus where they longed to go back. They rebelled against Moses. We just need to go back. We remember the cucumbers and the leeks and the garlics and the vegetable salad. I don't know why they long for vegetable salad indigestible like that out in the middle of a desert. That just shows you how nutty they were at times. Now, growth requires that God's people keep looking forward, not backward. And one thing we should never do is limit what God wants to do with us. What he can do and what he wants to do in our lives. It was the early Baptist missionary, William Carey, who said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. It's a good word. The Bible says it. Some of our favorite statements in the Bible, Ephesians chapter three, that God is able <clears throat> to do what? Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work. In fact, let's just say that together. Ephesians 3 and verse 20, everybody together. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. It's hard to move from the comfortable to embrace what seems to be impossible. It's not always easy, but here's the thing. That's where growth takes place. Growth takes place along the journey from the present to God's future. It's happened with every move that Judy and I have ever made. Tennessee to Texas, Texas, Missouri, Missouri to Florida. Every place we were, we thought we'd be there forever only to have God come along and say, you've been at this mountain long enough and so we'd go. And every time we would leave, it'd be hard. And it would take six months, a year, year and a half, two years, Adrian Rogers said one time when he left uh, Florida to go to Bellevue in Memphis to pastor where he was until he died, he said, it took two years for my soul to catch up to my body. Isn't that a great statement? And those of us that have had to do this kind of thing know that sometimes when you leave the familiar and you leave the comfortable and you go even though you believe that God is taking you to a better place, it's hard. And there are challenges and it takes a while for your soul to catch up with your body because your body can move faster than your soul moves. But every time we made those positive moves in the will of God, 
God has always been faithful to the scripture that says what? All things work together for what? For good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We always grew. We, in fact, we always grew in ways we never would have grown had we simply been content to stay right where we were. That kind of personal growth, spiritual growth, leadership growth doesn't happen when you dwell forever in the land of the familiar. Now let me just say, y'all still with me say amen. amen. You, you never force a move. Some people move when God says to stay. Israel's gonna move when God says stays here in just about a chapter and a half. And it was a disaster. You don't determine the move. God determines the move. And going when God says stay is not a good thing. And there'll be times that God says stay. And sometimes God will say stay for a long time. But here's the principle, here's the larger principle. You won't grow unless you're first willing to go. And you won't go unless you really desire to grow. Does that make sense? That's a little bit of a tongue twister. But you won't grow unless you're first willing to go. And you won't go unless there is a desire to grow. Because growth happens where there's a willingness to leave the familiar. Growth happens when there is a desire to possess the unimaginable. But then notice, finally, that there must be a commitment to employ the practical. There's some things that you can do as you follow the Lord that help lead to growth. And here's the thing about Moses. We've been talking up to this point about the people of Israel, but don't you know that Moses had some growing to do himself? I mean, even as an old man. I mean, the people of Israel, they didn't, they didn't even leave Egypt until Moses was, what, 80 years old? And so God used the first two-thirds of Moses' life to prepare him for what was really going to be the hardest. And Moses still, even as an 80-year-old man, oh, there's a message right there, isn't it? I'm gonna chase a rabbit, but I don't have time to do it. It doesn't matter how old you get. There's always room to grow. Nobody is ever created by God or born again into the family of God to ever stop growing. Nobody. I don't care if you're 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old, it does not matter. God calls us to a continual life of becoming, and that was Moses. And he knew he was not sufficient to the task. It was impossible. He's got at least two million people out there, and these people are having babies out in the desert. And along the way, of this 40-year wandering period, Moses nearly collapsed under the burden, but Deuteronomy is a reminder that he made it. Amen. He never quit, even though he wanted to. He never gave up. He never let go of the hand <clears throat> of God because he grew in his role. That's how he made it. And because he grew in his role, he made it all the way to the finish line. How? By paying attention to some particulars that we'd all do well to incorporate as we seek to become like Christ in our own spiritual journey. There are some things you can do. For example, if you want to grow spiritually and as a leader, one of the examples of Moses' life, you ask yourself a couple of questions. The first is, am I willing to sacrifice? 
because there is no growth without personal sacrifice. It will cost you something to grow. And Moses is a living example of that. Verse nine, at that time, now Moses again going back 38 years here. At that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. And then he asked in verse 12, how can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your stride? My Moses just being bone honest here. This is a big group and he knows it's gonna get bigger. In fact, as you read here, Moses has admitted he's okay with that. He prays that God will bless him and that they'll grow even more. He just doesn't have any idea how he's gonna cope with all of that. And this is what, at least in part anyway, made Moses such a great leader. He was inadequate and he knew he was inadequate. Reminds me a whole lot of the apostle Paul who openly confessed that his leadership was born out of a condition of personal weakness. And Paul understood if he was to obey God's call to be this uh, missionary preacher to the Gentiles, it would take him literally all over the Roman world. Paul understood it was gonna cost him. He was going to have to sacrifice in order to do it because he knew that in his own strength, he did not have what it took. But he was willing to follow God's hand even though he knew it was costly. And we see in his life, he makes that his own confession in 2 Corinthians 11, talking about how he was constantly in danger, constantly suffering, shipwrecked all these times, whipped, scourged, beaten with rods, working day and night, deprived of the creature comforts of life. And then he asked the question in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, 29, who is weak and I do not feel weak? I'm telling you, serving others. Serving others is an important thing. Costly though it is, it's an important part of spiritual growth. If you're not serving the Lord in some way by serving other people, you're depriving yourself of one of the most important catalysts for growth in your life. Because we don't just grow when we set and take in, we grow when we get up and go. And when we extend our hands and we move our feet and we do something, that makes a difference in the lives of others in the name of Christ for the glory of Christ. That was Moses. That kind of service involves sacrifice. It'll require your time, or sacrifice of your time. It'll require expenses, sometimes convenience. Moses was willing to give it. Paul was willing to give it. The question is, are you willing to give it so that you can grow and become not just by what you believe, but by what you do. For by grace are you saved through faith, yes, but then Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Moses was willing to serve. He was willing to sacrifice, even though he didn't have any idea how he would cope because his confidence wasn't in himself, his confidence was in the very God who had called him. And that leads to a second question, namely, am I willing not only to sacrifice, am I willing to prioritize? Namely, am I willing to prioritize what's good for what's best? 
One of the fundamentals of growth is that not only do we grow better when we serve, we grow better when we grow together. Amen. And God revealed to Moses that he needed to prioritize a few things in his life. Namely, he had to determine what's critical. Where can I make the most impact spending the majority of my time? And then Moses had to decide to release to others to accomplish what wasn't critical. And that's what he does in verse 13. Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. These are civil tribal leaders that were responsible to take a lot of the administrative detail off of Moses' shoulders so that he could become the leader that God had called him to be. He, he sets aside tribal leaders. He sets aside uh, military chieftains. He sets aside judges, if you read much of the rest of our passage this morning, so that they could hear all these cases. People, I know you find it hard to believe, people fussed and bickered with one another, wanted to drag each other before a tribunal because they felt wrong, they felt offended. And at one time, Moses was having to listen to all that stuff. And he realized there is no way unless I'm willing to get some of this administrative burden off of my shoulders. And that's what he does. It's much of the same way you see the early church functioning in Acts chapter 6 when those apostles in the Jerusalem church were overwhelmed with all the administrative burden. The church at Jerusalem had grown to 15, 20,000. You think Hillcrest is a big church. That first century church at Jerusalem was 10 times the size of our church. And there were 12 apostles and they were trying to do all the administrative detail and they couldn't keep up with everything. And so the church was told, select seven men from among you. And, and then the apostles delegated to them much of the administrative detail so they could prioritize what was critically important for them in terms of their own spiritual growth and in terms of their own spiritual leadership. That's what you see here in Deuteronomy 1, and it's what every believer has to do. You have to do the same thing in your own life. Because I'm telling you, what the devil does to keep most people from growing spiritually is just make them as busy as he possibly can. Everybody wants part of you. The school wants a part of you. The little league wants a part of you. The community organization wants a part of you. The church wants a part of you. God wants all of you. But we find ourselves stretched and pulled so thin, we try to do everything because we don't want to offend anybody. But yet this is what we have to do. We have to pay attention. and We have to prioritize what's most important, what's best. And so the question remains, what do you need to change about your priorities? What can you give to someone else to accomplish so that you can pay attention to what God says is most important in your life. Not only what might you give to someone else, what do you need to disregard altogether? Because there's some things you probably don't have any business doing at all. What do you need to eliminate in your life in order to make sure that you're prioritizing what's most important in your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ and the life of your family? and the life of your church. This is the message that Moses is giving in this look back to his people. 
Do you have it this morning? Are you with me this morning? Would you say amen? God has called us as a people to kingdom growth. Kingdom growing is essential personally and as a people, but for that to happen, you have to be willing to forsake the familiar when God says to. And you have to be willing to embrace the unimaginable and possess it when God calls. And you do that by means of employing the spiritually practical, where you learn to say yes to what's best and remove the rest when it holds you back. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. God says, turn, take your journey and go. The question is, will you do it? This is God's word and all God's people said, amen.